We live in a world plagued by pornography, and people are looking for help. When an individual struggles with pornography, they often turn to their church leader for that help. How does a leader help a person overcome the shame of this issue and start seeing positive progress? How can a leader help youth to open up about struggles with pornography? What are some lasting, proven tactics that actually make a difference? In order to help, Leading Saints has created the Liberating Saints Library with more than 20 presentations featuring individuals who have a unique perspective or expertise around this topic. Three of those most popular sessions are available to watch now. Simply text the word LEAD to 474747 to start watching now or visit leadingsaints.org liberating. And remember, text the word LEAD to 474747 in order to access the three most popular sessions of the Liberating Saints Library. Welcome back to the Leading Saints Podcast. Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And we do that through content creation, much like this podcast. We have articles at leadingsaints.org you should check out. A weekly newsletter you should subscribe to also has unique content. So let's jump into this week's episode. This is Kurt Frankum with Leading Saints, and in this episode, it's just me. It's a solo episode, a monologue, if you will, and I'm excited to uh, share with you some thoughts all around the concept of church culture. What is this thing we always talk about, church culture? Now, some of my thoughts and, and feelings around this, uh, you know, as I do solo episodes here and there, often come from the newsletter, and if you're not subscribed to the newsletter, it is a it is a great resource, in fact. I literally just got this message just a few minutes before before uh, starting today. It says, I still don't know how I ended up receiving your weekly emails, but I will tell you this. I've never looked forward with so much energy and excitement to get an email until I read the very first one I received from you guys, which was about four months ago. My faith and testimony have grown 10 times more or so I feel ever since. And the best part is that it keeps growing and I and I am confident more than I have ever been in my 35 years of life. I cannot thank you enough for opening my eyes and ears and heart to the full circle of love, the Savior's way. So a big shout out to uh, the person who sent me that and uh, maybe a little overstated, but the newsletter is a unique thing. You know, I know lots of people have newsletters and it's sort of like, this is what we posted this week on social media, but uh, I've really tried and add some unique content. I've uh, haven't written an article for the you know the traditional leading saints website for quite some time mainly because I put all of my perspective in the newsletter. So if you want Kurt Frankum's thoughts about leadership on a weekly basis, that's where I go and then of course we keep you up to speed with everything that we're posting and the podcast, the articles and things so that you have a one-stop shop of making sure you don't miss any of the fantastic content coming out of the leading saints world. And so what I find sometimes is I, I'll start and I'll get an idea for a newsletter. And these newsletters aren't overly overly formulated. I don't know what the right word is, but 
I don't sit and study and research and write these articles. It's literally me thinking, there's this concept that I am thinking about. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to just pound it out on my keyboard and see where it goes from there. And then if you're lucky, I have somebody that reviews it just for, you know, a good copy edit. And then uh, I email it out typically on Tuesdays, sometimes on Wednesdays and every once in a while on Thursdays, depending on how the week is going. And uh, it's been interesting. We get a great open rate to these emails and uh, it's maybe some unique thought that will get you thinking. And I love it when people respond back and they say, Kurt, I completely disagree with you. And I'm like, bless you, because I need a pushback like that, which will sort of feed into this this conversation. So anyways, I had this idea weeks ago and I thought, you know, everybody keeps using this term called culture, like church culture. Oh, that's not doctrine. That's culture, right? As if we're obsessed about yogurt or something. All right. Bad dad joke. But this is something you'll hear a lot in our, on social media, on our, in our faith community that, oh, the doctrine isn't the problem. It's the culture. And for all intents and purposes, yeah, I agree with that. But Culture has become sort of this this elephant in the room or this monster that's over in the corner. And it's uh, sometimes we, we uh, you know, we talk about it like, oh, there it is. Yeah, that's not church doctrine. That's our friend culture over there. Like that's the the culture monster in the corner, right? And this comes up every, every once in a while. Maybe somebody's having a hard time. And so you want to encourage them by saying, no, that's not doctrine. That's culture, right? But as this monster is in the corner of our faith community... Rarely do we sit back and say, hey, wait a minute, can I just ask a question? How on earth did that culture monster even get there? Like, why is it there, right? Because it is like culture can be a very positive thing, but left to its own devices, it grows wild and it is not helpful and it can really cause a lot of grief in the lives, even pushing people away from our community, away from our church. And so I want to take the opportunity, and this is what I did in this series of newsletters, is I sat down and I thought to myself, all right, if somebody came to me and said, yes, we know culture, negative church culture exists, but why is it there? And at first I thought and I thought and I thought, there's two reasons. I, I found it. I found it. Two reasons why that is. And then I wrote those up and then I thought, no, actually there's a third. And then I thought of a fourth. And then I thought of a fifth. And there's probably a sixth out there that you'll think of and you'll email me and tell me what the sixth one is because I don't claim to have all the answers. But from my experience and my thinking and pondering, I came up with five reasons of church culture, which I'll talk about here. But let me back up a little bit first, because reflecting back on this issue of always labeling things as, oh, that's church culture, right? If it's something negative in our culture, oh, that's just church culture. That's no, no good. The problem is that the term is very nuanced and it can be defined so differently for so many people. But the biggest problem is it creates this, this judgment loop. And let me give you an example of what I mean by that. I was listening to just a random podcast. It was Latter-day Saint related. And they were interviewing this convert woman who was very opinionated, all right, to say the least. And she was talking about her experience in Utah. And us Utahns get this a lot. And I agree that's, you know, there's some culture issues here for sure, to say the least. But she was saying things like, oh, you know, there's so much judgment in Utah culture and in, in the church culture. There's just too much judgment. There's people worrying about what you're wearing and how many earrings you have and on and on, right? Now, all these statements are probably true to some extent, especially in her experience. I'm not disputing that. But there's this judgment loop that happens. We complain about people judging and in the same breath of doing that, we become, we're now judging 
other people, right? We're judging the people who maybe are, are judging. And even me stating this, I mean, this is the irony of it. I'm sort of judging that woman that I heard on the podcast that, you know, you shouldn't judge like that. I'm now judging you for judging, right? So there's this judgment loop. When we simplify it to only church culture, it creates this judgment loop that isn't helpful. And so we need to step back and say, okay, why is that monster in the corner? Why is this church culture there? And so let's go through these five reasons. And these are for, uh, obviously, this is the Leading Saints podcast. We're going to put a lot of these in the context of leadership, but that doesn't necessarily mean that only leaders should be listening to this or only leaders can make a difference. Any member, any member of our community, of our religious community, any any member of a ward can have influence, right? Go back and listen to the the last solo episode I did about, about aspiring. Like influence is... Positive influence is needed, and we need your positive influence. So don't just think, well, if I was only a leader, I'd be able to impact some of these five points that Kurt talks about, but I'm not a leader. But anybody, this applies to anybody, even though I'll put them in the context of church leaders since that's sort of what we do here. All right. The first reason, and I don't think these are in any particular order, but mainly just how they came to my brain. Uh, The first reason for negative church culture is lack of ability. Again, this is one of my sayings I'm being known by. I was on the All In podcast uh, through LDS Living with Morgan Jones, and uh, we talked about this concept, which never confuse an ability problem with a motivation problem. Because this is what can happen with, as we experience maybe negative church culture, we sort of fold our arms in the back of the room and say, oh, man, that person, you know, that leader, if they would have, they would have just been more motivated or they just don't want to see this change or They're perpetuating something negative. Instead, default to maybe it's an ability problem, right? And if we can increase the ability of individuals, that's going to benefit our culture. Okay, so for example, imagine the result of having a really skilled teacher teach Sunday school. Does that change the dynamic that happens there, right? We've all had that experience. We've had really good teachers, and maybe we've even experienced some really poor teachers. Now, bless their heart, you know, it's not that... We should only call really good teachers of those positions, but, you know, we're, we're rooting for everybody. But nonetheless, there's a difference there. And when we have a really good teacher, everyone wants to come back, right? They love the gospel more because they love learning about it, right? Now, imagine seeing a bishop who has a strong understanding and ability to show empathy, right? We did a great series with Louis Hamner. You can get access to it at leadingsaints.org. He taught for four hours about the skill set of empathy. And that's right. It's a skill set. Now, naturally, there's people just like LeBron James was born with a certain level skill set of basketball, right? Obviously, he's worked hard and throughout his career but to, to master that. But I think from whatever genetics he has is a little different than mine, especially the fact that he's grown to six foot whatever. And I'm, you know, maybe a good 5'11 if I'm on my tippy toes. And, uh, so some people are born to be more empath- empathetic, right? But it is a skill set that can be learned. And so a bishop, an elders quorum president, a relief society president who is more empathetic, people want to engage in that environment that they're creating as a leader. They want to come back and they'll even maybe be able to connect with the core's doctrines of, of, the, uh, of the church, even the, the atonement of Jesus Christ, right? And, and receive healing because I think they're like, man. My bishop gets me, and I feel so heard when I'm there, like because he's good at empathy, right? That's a skill set, and therefore, they'll feel like 
yeah, I feel like I can reach the Savior more easily when he's by my side, right? I begin to understand the Savior better. And a few weeks ago, we uh, highlighted this with my interview with Steve Shields. He talked about therapy, right? This is really the difference between a bishop and a therapy. Like a therapy has gone to school and they have, they've been learned a certain skill set of how to show empathy in a one-to-one situation. And it's not necessarily that they've, they say the right thing or that they have the right therapeutic model that heals more people than not, but they're just more trained to be more empathetic. And so that skill set goes a long way. So with this reason, like when we put it in the context of like, oh, this negative church culture isn't just here because it's here, but man, you know, my bishop, he's trying really hard or my Relief Society president, she's trying her best, but she just maybe doesn't have some abilities that are going to help her excel at leadership. And that naturally creates some empathy. You think, oh, yeah, well, you know, maybe I could help out here or maybe I can be more patient, right? And when we put it in this context of thinking, oh, so it's not just this this bishop or this leader is a really bad person and they just want, they want pain to, <laughs> to permeate their ward or whatever. It's more of like it separates their identity from the leadership. And you separate that and now culture isn't like, oh, you are the problem of the culture, right? Because it's not, that's not necessarily the case. It's not like a certain, you know, some people can default to the fact that, oh, religious people, there's something about religious people that, that permeates negative culture. That's not the case. It all goes back to these concepts of one being the lack of ability. And that's why in as I do these interviews, and, and really this is why leading saints exists. When I was a young leader and I first founded Leading Saints, it was mainly because I felt like I don't have skill the skill sets necessary to really lead effectively. And I'd love to go out and figure out what those skill sets are, right? And learning skill sets of leadership is really going to perpetuate a, a positive culture. And so that's really what we focus on here at Leading Saints. And so I hope you find value in here. And again, we don't necessarily claim to have all the answers, but hopefully you come here and you're put onto a certain skill set that you could develop, like empathy, right? Or I I won't list them off here. But And as I'm doing interviews, this is why I'm often asking, wait, how did you do that? You just said that you set up this early morning, like a devotional study group for seniors in your stake to study the gospel topic essays. Wait a minute. Like, how'd you do that? How did you invite people? How often did you, did you do it, right? I'm often asking very skill set focused questions because I want to identify the skill set that allowed you to do that. Or you may assume, well, everybody knows how to organize a group of seniors and talk about difficult gospel topics, right? No, no, that may be a skill set and we want to learn that from you. All right. So the first one, the first reason for negative church culture is lack of ability. Number two, the, the second reason for negative church culture is negative mindsets. Now, we had Ryan Gottfriedson, bless his heart, he's given a ton of his knowledge to the Leading Saints community. He wrote a book called Success Mindsets, and we'll link to that episode where I interview him about his book, Success Mindsets, and then even the episode where he talks about vertical development. This is a great place to understand how mindsets can impact culture positively or negatively, right? And he explains that our mindset is basically the lens in which we see the world. And that can be impacted by so many different things, whether your your DNA, where you were raised, how you were raised, all sorts of things, right? Impact how you see the world. And we can be proactive 
in being in in adjusting how we see the world to be maybe a more growth mindset or open mindset. And he talks about these four different types of mindsets. I won't go into them here, but I would encourage you to go check out that interview about mindsets and read his book. I mean, phenomenal book, Success Mindsets. And so when we have, and you'll see this in a leadership transition, when maybe a bishop is released and a new one comes in, that new bishop is a new person, right? Is not the same guy that was the the bishop before. And so he's going to have a different set of, of mindsets, good or bad, but he's seeing the world through a different lens. Maybe he's a convert and the previous bishop wasn't. And so he's going to see certain things differently because he has a different lens. And so Ryan's research has revealed that leaders, whether it's bishops, relief society presidents, elder scorn presidents, leaders with different mindsets have mental wiring that dispose them to operate differently. Specifically, leaders with a fixed mindset are more inclined to be more judgmental and less developmental than those with a growth mindset. Leaders with closed mindsets are less willing to listen and validate the ideas and suggestions of others compared to those with an open mindset, right? And when leaders have more of an open mindset or even members in a ward, when more and more people have an open mindset to different ideas, that's naturally going to produce the byproduct of psychological safety. And the more psychological safety we have, this roots out negative culture. Everybody wants to be part of a group where they're psychologically safe, where they can share their thoughts, opinions, and ideas without pushback or without being dismissed or minimized. Okay, Leaders with a prevention mindset create an environment that is less engaging than those with a promotional mindset. Leaders with an inward mindset are more inclined to operate with an authoritative leadership style and less inclined to operate as a servant leader compared to those with an outward mindset who are always maybe more empathetic and open to what's happening to people around them rather than what's happening to themselves. All right, so what does all that mean exactly? Let me give you some examples. If you remember back to the Louis Hamner episode, I interviewed him about his time as a bishop, and he had a youth that came to him and also told the, the family that he was had no plans of serving a mission. Okay, And he told this to the bishop, which was Louis, right? Now, Louis is somebody who's very focused on a growth mindset, open mindset, type of leadership. And so a more closed leader would have said something like, oh, well, hey, listen, you know, let's make sure we run through all the benefits of why you should serve a mission. And, you know, the prophet sort of asked us to serve a mission, so we probably should follow the prophet and do these things, right? But instead, since Louis came from a growth mindset, he said, well, do you still want to spiritually progress? Man, what a phenomenal growth mindset question. And the youth said, yeah, I do. And he said, great. Let's put the idea of a mission aside and focus on just helping you spiritually progress. And what does that look like, right? Some more examples of this, of maybe a, a closed mindset, and one that comes up a lot, especially in the context of leadership is, and you've heard me talk about it before, is the unwritten order of things. Now, this comes from a talk that Elder Packer gave back, I want to say 1996 at BYU. He gave this talk called The Unwritten Order of Things. And the basic premise is that there's a certain way of doing things in the church or leading in the church. And even though those things aren't written down, we should probably do them. Well, this talk has sort of been used and abused in so many ways that when there's a certain policy or maybe a stake president 20 years ago, like doing it a certain way, many people begin to think that there's this unwritten order of things. And that's part of the unwritten order of things. When in reality, Elder Packard mentioned very few things on the, the that are included in the unwritten order of things. And please, 
if there is this mysterious list of unwritten order of things, would somebody please take the time to write them down? Because it's causing a lot of confusion, right? We are a house of order in this church, right? And if there's something, a rule or policy that needs to be followed, it's going to be in the handbook. And you should refer to it often so you're familiar with those things. But to just group certain policies or things we do as, oh, that's part of the unwritten order of things, right? That happens because it's a very prevention type of mindset or a fixed mindset. Like this is the way it's always been done. So therefore, that's the way it always should be done, right? And that can perpetuate a very negative culture because people are thinking like, why are we doing this? Like this isn't effective, but only reason I get is that it's on this unwritten order of things, right? Another example is dominating church callings. I see this a lot and I get these heartfelt emails from for primary presidents who are saying, man, I, I'm trying to be a good leader, but my I just sit in sacrament meeting as I hear callings, you know, from the bishopric about who's serving as primary teachers and I have no say in what's happening. And and sometimes we have this prevention mindset as leaders or as a bishopric where we think, there's so many moving parts in this ward. Like, what am I going to do? And, you know, what if two people suggest the same person and I'm going to have to make the decision anyways? And it's certainly, you know, the handbook says it's sort of my call or what to say or who to put in all these callings. So I'm just going to do it for them, right? That's a very closed mindset because you're removing that opportunity from of personal revelation, from these organizational leaders and, and whatnot, right? So, Sort of taking control, that can be a very closed mindset, okay? Sometimes people obsess on the handbook, right? And of course, we should turn to the handbook. We should follow. We should be familiar with it. But sometimes it gets to the point where people make suggestions or have ideas that aren't necessarily against the handbook, but they're also not found in the handbook. So therefore, maybe we shouldn't do them because if we should do them, then the handbook price says we should do them, right? So become very handbook obsessed that can create a closed mindset and, and lead us astray. And lead us towards a negative church culture. All right. So we've talked about the lack of ability and mindsets. Closed mindsets lead to or fixed mindsets can lead to negative church culture. All right. The third one of reasons why negative church culture happens is misunderstanding doctrine. Now, I'm not a doctrinal scholar and you probably aren't either. I'm sure I have certain beliefs in the gospel that I've learned or come to my own conclusions that are probably wrong, right? I don't claim to have it all figured out, but I do my best and I let people know that I don't know it all. And so maybe I'm wrong some places, but there is this sometimes a perpetuation of certain doctrines that are false. And when we sort of embrace them as true, it can lead to negative church culture. And let me give you an example of this. I'm actually in the process of finishing off a manuscript and uh, I share this story in the manuscript. So let me read from that manuscript, the story about Sarah Edwards, and you can kind of see how False doctrine can lead to negative church culture. Sarah Edwards was the wife of a bitter Puritan preacher in the mid-1700s named Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was not known as an encouraging preacher full of hope and grace. He tended to scare people into the belief by articulating the horror of damnation. Oh, sinner, consider the fearful danger you are in. It is a great furnace of wrath, a wide and bottomless pit full of the fire of wrath that you are held over in the hand of that God whose wrath is provoked and incensed as much against you as against many of the damned in hell. He goes on to say, The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or something loathsome insect over the fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. But alas, instead of one, how many is it likely 
will remember this discord in hell, and it would be a wonder if some that are now present should not be in hell in the very short time before this year is out. Now, for John Edwards' wife, Sarah, described herself feeling so low in grace because she had an interpretation of God that didn't feel redemptive, but only condemning. One morning, while her husband was out of town, Sarah's family hosted a visiting preacher by the name of Reverend Peter Reynolds. This reverend offered a morning prayer that struck Sarah. He spoke to God in a way she had never heard before. She said, I felt an earnest desire that in calling on God, he should say Father, or that he should address the Almighty under that appellation, on which the thought turned in my mind. Why can I say Father? Can I now at this time, with the confidence of a child and without the least misgiving of heart, call God my Father? At this moment, a Christian woman who thought she understood God's character had in fact discovered a new depth to his soul, one that brought her feelings of grace and love. She realized she had never been worshiping an angry God as much as she was worshiping a father in heaven who deeply loved her. This story gives me pause and excitement. It encourages me to stop and consider the attributes of my heavenly father that I may be misinterpreting. It brings me to ask myself if I have allowed my life experience to limit God's true identity in my mind's eye. All right, so this is an example. Jonathan Edwards was a (laughs) bitter preacher, right? And had some really skewed perceptions about God and is he really just angry with us and holds us over like a spider over over hell, right? You can see that no, I, I would imagine maybe Jonathan Edwards had a difficult time, you know, filling up those pews on Sunday because a misunderstanding of doctrine can lead to negative church culture. You see this in, for example, mission culture, right? If there's too much of a push for youth to serve missions, it can suddenly be interpreted as a doctrine that a mission is a form of a saving ordinance, when it is definitely not. It's just easy to blame it on culture, right? Oh, well, that's just mission culture. And But when we recognize that there's actually a misunderstanding of doctrine, then we can we can approach this issue a little bit differently and think, Oh, I see some people misunderstand the doctrine of missions and see it as some type of saving ordinance. Well, I'm going to make sure that my children know that missions aren't a saving ordinance, but the temple is. And so let's maybe point people towards the temple. Another one is this concept of families can be together forever. Now, on the surface, on the superficial primary song level, yeah, yeah, that's true. Families can be together forever. But then it also perpetuates this idea of the what I call the empty chair in heaven fallacy. People assume that their loved ones who maybe separate themselves from the church or th- who don't keep their covenants, that they'll live in a far off location with no Zoom or cell service, right? When in reality, we don't understand the, the simple nuances of what the afterlife is like. And when we perpetuate this doctrine that families can be together as if it's a doctrine based on geography and where what neighborhoods people live in, then that can perpetuate a very negative church culture because somebody has misunderstood doctrine, right? And who wants to go to a church where it seems like, oh, you got to do these things or you won't be able to see your mom in the afterlife. Again, that's not helpful in perpetuating a positive church culture. All right, number four of the reasons why negative church culture happens is lack of exposure. And 
I thought I was done with number three, like I said, but then I saw this YouTube video of this gentleman talking and it, he's a Latter-day Saint, but I could tell he had a very negative, a negative attitude or opinion about the LGBTQ community, especially in the church, right? That they were somehow not part of us. And, and I, it's sort of, it wasn't like completely inappropriate or disparaging, but it just felt a little uncomfortable. And I sat with this and I thought, why does he think like this? Like this, people could easily label this, oh, that's church culture, right? But why is it? And I realized that a big part of negative church culture comes from the fact that of lack of exposure, okay? The lack of exposure that maybe somebody hasn't been exposed to diversity of lifestyle or diversity of background, that they're not going to be able to develop enough empathy to see other people who are in different circumstances, right? And I, I've heard this, you know, this stated in the in terms of like uh, individuals who indulge in pornography. And some people say, oh, they know it's bad. And if they wanted to stop, they would stop. And that sort of discounts like, hmm, maybe there's more to it, right? Maybe there's some life experience there. And, and Ryan Gottfordson does a great job of articulating this well when he says he saw a homeless person on the road, but he approached it from the from the point of view of like, maybe that individual is actually doing their best, right? But maybe their life experience, the trauma they, they've had in their life is impeding them or trying in the same way that you would, right? Now, people overcome these things and it's encouraging to see that happen, but to try and expose yourself to diversity of lifestyle and hear people's stories and then you gain a deeper level of empathy and think, oh, I see. I can see why you're in that spot. My life, I didn't experience that. And I... Who knows? I may be in your same spot if I had experienced that, right? As humans, it's easy for us to project our life experience on others we associate with. And this is a very simple thing for leaders to do. Typically, those that are called to leadership have some level of stability in their life, as they should, right? They're about to walk into a very busy calling with, uh, you know, with many responsibilities. And so they, it, it's easy for them to th feel like, well, I've, I did A and then I added B to it and then I've, found success, right? I I behaved a certain way and I did that consistently and now I'm happy and have have great blessings in my life. So why don't you just do that, right? And maybe somebody's dealing or wrestling with certain trauma that impedes them from from acting or getting the same results as you, right? And so by exposing yourself to other other lifestyles and perspectives it really helps you gain empathy and promote more positive church culture. Now, you'll see this concept surface as far as like lack of exposure when uh, individuals, you hear people maybe make a comment in Sunday school and it's a very us versus them comment, right? right? Like those that don't attend church or, or though the, the LGBT community or right the, those that uh, doubt their faith, right? It can sound very us and them. And that just means there's maybe a lack of exposure that that person has had where if you take most members of the church or really any human and sit them down with somebody who's diverse, has a diverse opinion, background, or life experience, and just have them hear their story, they're suddenly going to understand, oh, now that I've been exposed to your life a little bit more and have a deeper understanding, I have more empathy for that. And that will promote positive church culture. So again, we're not blaming it on the culture. It just means someone hasn't had much exposure to other life experiences. If you want to hear like the power of exposure, what it can have on somebody, we'll link to this episode. But years ago, I did an interview, an episode on the Leading Saints podcast called What I Learned About Leadership When My Second Counselor Left the Church. As I served as bishop, right before I was released, the se my second counselor uh, left the church. And uh, I sat down with my second counselor and 
it was an episode more about me than him. And I just wanted to hear his story. I wanted to hear what got him to that point. And sitting down, you can almost hear it in the interview as I get near the end. I have my empathy for him grows and grows. So it can be a simple act of just sitting down with people and hearing their stories. In my own life, I have felt blessed to be associated with individuals who have non-traditional gospel experiences, including those who experience same-sex attraction, those who have experienced awful trauma, those who've stepped away from the gospel completely, and so many other life experiences that are different than mine. And as I've been exposed to their stories, I've gained a deeper level of empathy as to not to judge them, but rather to pray for them more deeply. Seeking exposure to diverse backgrounds is not a passive exercise. This is what makes it so difficult and why perpetuating positive culture is so difficult. This is a very proactive effort, okay? So for example, I'm part, I sit on the board of directors of North Star, a phenomenal organization, community to help Latter-day Saints, especially those in the LGBTQ community, to find community in, in the church, a community of individuals who are striving to maintain their covenants in the context of, of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It is a remarkable organization. Every year, they have a conference, and every year I go. And every year at that conference, they have leadership sessions. And these leadership sessions are made completely free to any member of a ward counselor or ward council and their counselors, okay? And I am just baffled. I mean, some great people come and it keeps growing every year, but why aren't we just, why is there, they're not standing room only. This is an ideal opportunity for individuals to gain exposure of LGBTQ Latter-day Saints and to sit with them, hear their stories, learn more about that, right? And then to come back to a ward and say, hey, I was just, I'm the bishop and I was just at this conference and I've learned something about the LGBTQ experience. I don't understand it completely, but I'm striving to learn and expose myself to this. And so if anybody ever wants to talk about that, I feel like I'm in a better place to do that. Not that I'm going to say everything right, but I'm in a better place to do that. You can see how that perspective is going to stimulate positive church culture because you've been exposed to diversity of background. So here's a few other ideas of how to how to seek out exposure to diverse backgrounds. When somebody leaves the church, ask to hear their stories. I love David Osler's book. I've interviewed him and promoted that book. You should definitely check it out. It's called Bridges by David Osler. And he talks about the story of sitting down with somebody and saying, tell me your story. Why did you leave the church? Right. And so many people returned and said, replied, you know, nobody's ever asked me that. It means so much that you would ask me that, right? So when somebody leaves the church, maybe look for an opportunity to sit down with them and say, hey, just tell me your story. I'm not here to change your mind, but tell me what journey you've been on and what led you to this point, right? Again, more exposure. Do you have a, a gay neighbor? Have you ever walked over there and said, hey, I know I'm the elders court president, but I'm not here to talk church. I just want to hear your story. I hear you, you served a mission. What was that like? And then what happened after that? What led you to this point? Are you happy? Like, what does that look like? Tell me about your your significant other or, you know, whatever it is. And you're gaining a perspective of that. Recovering addicts. So many people see addicts as, oh, if they wanted to, they could stop. But I guarantee you there's a deeper story of trauma in their life when they're striving so hard to stop and they just can't seem to stop. One effort we're making in, in my own home ward, and I've done it in past wards, is uh, we're making an effort to share each other's stories, 
Typically, what happens in a ward is uh, a new couple moves in and you think, great, hey, why don't we have you two speak in sacrament meeting, right? And oh, and could you be sure to maybe take five minutes to just tell us a little about yourself in sacrament, right? And you get this, uh, yeah, my husband does this, I do that, we have this many kids and we like to do this. Anyways, on to my gospel topic for my sacrament talk, right? Like we just get this blip of their story in that context. So one effort we're making in, in uh, our ward is we have started a ward podcast, okay? And I've done this in another ward. It worked out phenomenally. Now, obviously, I'm the <laughs> I'm the guy with all the podcast equipment, so I'm spearheading this and conducting those interviews. But when you make space to really sit down with your ward members and hear their stories, you will be amazed at the heartbreak. You'll be amazed at the faith-promoting experiences. You'll be amazed at so many so many nuances in their life that make them who they are. And by the time you hear their story after a half hour, maybe an hour, you think, man, I just love them because you've been exposed to their experience. All right, number five, the fifth reason for negative church culture is lack of self-awareness. Now, before I go on, this is sort of embarrassing, but I know you think I can't see you right now because you're listening to a podcast, but you actually have some spinach in your teeth. Now, now, how many of you actually, uh, your tongue went over your teeth just to make sure that you didn't uh, have spinach in your teeth? I, I have no idea. But we've all been there, right? We've all discovered we have spinach in our teeth at one time or not. And the same thing happens in culture. We have spinach in our teeth at times and we can't see it because we don't have self-awareness. And oftentimes we either have to walk up to somebody and say, do I have something in my teeth? where you have to go into the bathroom and look in the mirror and think, oh my goodness, I do have spinach in my teeth. You can't effectively lead until you know how you lead, right? You can't effectively lead until you know the type of leader you are. When we fail to take the time to be self-aware or step out of our own skin and try to take on others' perspectives, we begin to live in an imaginary world. If we're not taking the time expose ourselves to not only others' experiences, but expose ourselves to their experience of us, then we won't be able to lead effectively. You may think, and I remember these feelings, you know, you're the bishop, you show up, like, you feel like, oh, everybody seems to like me, like, I must be doing a good job, I'm doing this and that, and I'm shaking hands and smiling, and people seem to like me. But have you asked them, or have you, like, sat down with your ward councils that, okay, I've got to be missing something, what am I missing? begin to gain a deeper understanding of yourself and how people are perceiving you. So let me ask you a few questions about the organizations you lead. Did those you lead understand why you do what you do as a leader? Are your Sunday classes a safe place for anyone to speak up about difficult topics? If someone disagrees with you, would they come tell you, you think? Or why do some people choose not to engage in your organization? Why are people, some people just don't come to church? Are you easy to approach? Even though you say you have an open door policy, <laughs> are you really that easy to approach? And really, you may have an answer for all these questions, but how do you know? How do you really know that people are perceiving you the same way that you perceive yourself? We are constantly making assumptions which influence the reality that we see, our perceived reality. And once you are more self-aware, you see the reality, which is actually reality, and you can actually do something with that, right? You can't improve culture until you understand what is stuck in your organization's teeth or what's stuck in your teeth. 
And you can't understand what's stuck in your teeth until you attempt to understand others' perspectives. Self-awareness is a constant pursuit, just like exposure. You have to be proactive, asking for disagreement. I remember clearly stating that as a, as a bishop to my counselor, saying, I beg you to disagree with me. If you disagree with me, I would love it. I want to hear you disagree with me in my meetings, right? Because you're going to be more, and, and it did lead to that. I was more self-aware of who I was as a leader. Take surveys. There's nothing wrong with this, right? You can pass something around or do a simple Google survey and ask the ward, how am I doing? Or how are we doing as a ward council? How's your church experience? What do you wish was different? What do, you, what do you want us to do more of, less of, those types of things? Surveys kind of seem very like businessy or, you know, secular world stuff does that. But you can take surveys and it, you can gain deeper revelation by doing this work. Stop people in the hall. Just grab some and say, hey, how's it going? Like, no, really, you might have to follow up and ask them several times. Tell me, how am I doing? Like, what did I miss? Like, how is your church experience today? How could it be different, right? Just constantly be in that mode of curiosity. What am I missing, right? A bishop and a ward council be constantly banging this drum. What am I missing? How am I seeing this wrong? What do you see, sister? Brother, what do you see? And you're going to be more and more self-aware. If you have a leader who you consider unaware of their self-aware, <laughs> talk to them. Does that make sense? Like we sometimes sit there and think, ah, oh, man, the bishop, I know he's trying so hard or that elders court president. I see what he's trying to do, but I think he's self-aware as far as how we perceive him as a leader. Maybe I should sit down and talk with him, right? Like if somebody had a perspective of me as a leader of something I could do different or change, I would be so offended if they didn't come and talk to me about it or bring it up or find a, a quiet place to talk with me one-on-one and say, hey, Bishop, listen, I see what you're trying to do there, but this is how it's coming across. And so I may be wrong, but maybe just something to think about there. And, and maybe you could ask a few other people about that question uh, or about that perception. And, and maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, but that's how I'm perceiving it. Like that's really helpful information for a leader because we've all gotten to the end of the day and we look in the mirror and we think, oh no, I have spinach in my teeth. How many people did I talk to and nobody had the heart to say, hey, right there, you got some spinach in your teeth. Like this is crucial for us to develop a positive culture. All right, so therefore what? What are we supposed to do with these information? Let's run through them again. The first reason is lack of ability. Second reason, negative mindsets. Third reason, misunderstanding doctrine. Fourth reason, lack of exposure. And fifth reason, lack of self-awareness. Now, what do we do with this? What a fantastic discussion to have with maybe your presidency that you're in. Say, hey, this crazy guy has a podcast in his basement, and he came up with these five reasons for negative church culture. He's probably up in the night, little crazy pants. But let's talk about these and see if maybe there's something to this. Like, maybe there's something we can improve or do differently. So let's go through these, right? So these are just some ideas I've come to. I'd love to hear if there's a sixth, a seventh, or an eighth uh, reason for negative church culture. I would like to, to hear it. So email me at leadingsaints.org slash contact. I'd love to hear your perspective on this, and maybe I can add to my own personal list. But this is the effort we need to make as far as negative church culture. We can't just label it as this church culture over there in the corner. I wish it wasn't here, but it's here. But start asking yourself, why is it here? What caused it to walk in this room, sit down, and make a place at home? And when we do that, we're going to stimulate positive culture. And, and culture is is so helpful in effective leadership because it becomes a, 
a catalyst to so many efforts that you're doing. You can have so many dynamic, unique ideas as a leader, but if you don't have culture backing it up, you'll never gain the momentum to really have a significant impact in your organization. That concludes this episode of the Leading Saints podcast. We'd love to hear from you about your questions or thoughts or comments. You can either leave a comment on the uh, post related to this episode at leadingsaints.org or go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and send us your perspective or questions. If there's other episodes or topics you'd like to hear on the Leading Saints podcast, go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and share with us the information there. And we would love for you to share this with any individual you think this would apply to, especially maybe individuals in your ward council or other leaders that you may know who would really appreciate the perspectives that we discussed. And remember, text the word LEAD to 474747 in order to access the three free sessions of the LGBT Saints Library. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.